Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. This is episode 27, and I'm telling you, get ready, my friends, because today we are going to talk with my good friend, Jonathan Williams. Jonathan is the lead pastor of Forefront Church in Brooklyn, New York. He serves on the board of With Launchpad, which is an organization dedicated to starting progressive Christian churches. He is a popular writer who covers religion and spirituality and current trends and LGBTQ inclusion and justice. He's written for the Huffington Post, Faithfully Magazine, The Christian Standard, and more. Jonathan's story uh, that he writes about has been featured in the New York Times and the Christian Post, and he is the author of a brand new book called She's My Dad. He lives in Brooklyn, New York with his wife and daughters and is always fun to hang out with and keeps me out way too late anytime we do hang out. Jonathan, welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Thanks so much, man. And yeah, we definitely stay out way too late. <laughs> yes, we do. I, I, I come home mentally uh, refreshed and physically just Physically crushed. exhausted. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Well, beyond you keeping me out too late, and you probably accuse me of keeping you out too late. Absolutely. What else should our listeners know about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I the, the thing I always lead with is I know uh, useless sports stats and facts, like like a ridiculous <laughs> amount. And so I always say that's what people should know about me, that I know like ridiculous things like the ERA of Dwight Gooden in 1985 was 1.53. So like, is it mostly baseball stats? It's all kinds of stats. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Tom Chambers, who played you know, in the NBA, went to the University of Utah. Why do, you know, why do I know that stuff? It, it doesn't serve any purpose. But you know... Bunch of useless sports trivia. Yeah, absolutely. So I did not know that about. Yeah, you. yeah. It's one of those things I do when uh, you know when ministry and writing and speaking and all the rest is too much. I'm going to click on ESPN and and you just read useless facts. I I'll go to like you know who who are who's in the NBA minor leagues and I'll go in there and look and see if I <laughs> recognize any names. I do stuff like that. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. It's a little ridiculous. I did not know that. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, I'm always down for. Down for fun, a good party, good people, that yeah. kind of stuff. And uh, it's funny that our kids, we have two kids, 10 and 9, and now they're down for parties and like good times, and that's what they want to do every day too. So it rubs off. That's awesome. Yeah. So you uh, you have you had a new book, or have a new book, came out last week, uh, November 20, and it's titled She's My Dad. Correct, yeah. And um, just tell us about the, the premise of the book. Yeah, uh, about six years ago, uh, my dad, who um, is a church planter, I'm a church planter, um, someone who I, you know, someone who I, I talked with every day, and we talked professionally, personally, all the rest, uh, flew from Denver to my home in New York and sat in my living room and, and said, I'm transitioning to the female gender. And I had zero idea. Whoa. I mean, shocked. I, I, I didn't know that that was going to happen. It was the furthest thing from my mind. Uh, and so really... When she when she came and she said, hey, "I'm gonna I'm transitioning," um, I didn't quite even know what it meant to be transgender at that point, and so I was behind the curve on the rest of society. But yeah, um, so my first thought is, I gotta I gotta Google this stuff, figure figure out what's going on, what's going to happen with my dad, and then slowly but surely, I'm like, okay, she's she's becoming a woman, and this this is going to be permanent, and what do I do with this? Wow. Um, and so that's that's one aspect, right? You know, my dad, who I talk to every day, who, you know, is is the one that I I love more than anyone else, is is not going to be my dad anymore. But then we were a part of an evangelical, you know, organization. Our, I just started a church three months before. Hmm. The evangelical organization that helped our church to start, my dad worked for them. So now, 
if I say anything to this evangelical organization, they're going to fire my dad. And it's possible that our church loses funding. So now I have this secret I have to keep. So I think a lot of the book is about that tension, that grief that comes with uh, personally losing your dad in some respects and then having to do this professional evangelical church work at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like? Talk talk us through the initial shock where you're sitting in your living room. Right. And your dad says this to you. What, I mean, was it that feeling of like things are spiraling, the world's closing in? Like what, what was that initial shock like? I think, I think it was an instant, um, yeah, like I said, disbelief. It, It was, yeah. You know, when the room starts to spin and you try not to pass out. Yeah. It was that. And then I, I, I kind of came to and I just said, are, are you sure you're not sick? Are you sure you're not, you know, is, is something else going on? Are you unhappy professionally? Is there, is there something going on in your marriage? Or I think I was looking for, oh, this, this isn't a thing. This isn't real. Yeah. This is just a product of something else. Yeah. Uh, and I probably lived in that space way longer than I needed to or should have. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But that, uh, that first day, that's what it was. We had a Christmas party for church that night. Our church, like I said, three months oh my old. Goodness. So I get this, I get this news, and then I have to go, and there's you know, you know, a couple hundred people at this Christmas party, and I have to be like, yeah, this is great. I'm having a great time. <laughs> at least you like to party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's that. And so you, you mentioned um, the relationship before. So with your dad was right mentor, confidant, someone who had uh, shared a lot with you, and that you were able to really work with with the church plant. How did that relationship? Um, begin to change. Yeah, she. Uh, well, he he at the time was a mentor, definitely. And I think I, I, I thought about getting into church planning, and it was it was my dad that that it was helpful and and helped me to ask the right questions and think through what it actually meant to start a church. And so when she came out, um, whether whether it's true or not, I believe that I no longer could talk to her about any of that. So immediately, immediately, here I am, you know, a million questions a day about what do you do when, you know, this happens in your church? Or what, what goes on with, uh, with giving? Or how do you set up a website? You know, all these things that I would call her, uh, my dad for, I sort of sat with that. You know, look, wow. look for new people to talk to. Uh, and looking back on it, I'm sure that hurt her as she's like, you know, I still am a church planning expert. You can still call me. But right. it, I was just so in denial and so angry uh, that I, I didn't want to do that, you know? And so in the, you already said that in the midst of all this, so you're three months into your church plant. Right. Right. And so, um, by the way, planting churches, for those of you who are listening, if you've never done it, it's super easy. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's easy. no, no effort required at all. Uh, uh, but so you're three months in what, what impact was felt in the church and like with you, not, not just that you lost someone that you can go to and ask questions, but you mentioned there was a, you were part of an evangelical organization. There was funding at stake. Um, what was the impact on, on the church plant and on you as you were leading the church plant in that uh, initial season? Yeah. Uh, I think first and foremost, something that was, uh, that, that gave me a ton of joy no longer felt joyful. Mm. And that's hard when you're starting a church. You're yeah. creating a community where there's good news. And I was like, I have no good news. I have none. There's nothing there. Wow. So right away, I mean, I feel like within the first month of knowing, I felt like I needed to find ways to cope. Um, So as Michael said, when, yeah, church planning is super easy. So you're literally (laughs) meeting with, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 people a week. 
Yeah. Uh, you're, you're hearing their life story. You're asking questions. And so, and deep inside the heart of every church planter is the, is the ugly side of church. Like I want these people to stay and please start giving. Yeah, exactly. Which most people don't like, don't admit it out loud. But as someone who also planted a church years ago, there is that sense of like, please stay. Right. We need you. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're, you, you're, you want, you want to create something viable. And, yeah. And so another friend who's a church planner is like, you talk to everybody with a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> you want them to be a part of the church. And so I'm talking to, you know, everybody with a heartbeat and I want them to come and I want them to be a part of the community. I'm trying to sell it. And at the same time, I'm like, but my life is over. But my best friend, my mentor, my, you know, my God in some ways isn't who I thought they were. So, so yeah, loss of joy. I mean, I started drinking a ton. I was like, I can't sit through these conversations and hear other people's stories when I'm still dealing with my story. So I'm going to tell them to meet me for beers. And I'm going to drink too many beers while they talk to me. And yeah. so I think that was one of the ways it, it sort of manifested itself in that first year. And so people would say like, oh, we like this church because the pastor's kind of a party guy. And, and yeah, I mean, I've always had a little bit of that vibe. Yeah. But this wasn't about partying as much as it was about coping. Yeah. So that was, you know, in hindsight, that was, that wasn't healthy. That was difficult. Yeah. yeah. And what, 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 as time went on and more people found out about your dad, what happened uh, in your relationship with the church planting organization? Well, I mean, you know, timeline wise, people couldn't find out about my dad. So at first it was my wife and that was it. Nobody else knew. So I have this staff of eight and, uh, you know, there's mentors across the river at our mother church that are, that are with me. I can't tell them. Um, so I'm, I'm just keeping this, I'm just holding it. And so I did that for about a year, Whoa! about a year. And, you know, people would say what's wrong or what's going on? And I'd say, I'd love to tell you, I can't, I can't say anything. And then my staff uh, would say, you know, where are you? Where'd you go? You know, you, you have this far off look or, or, you know, you're not clear in what you're trying to communicate with us. What, what's going on? And I'd say, I'd love to tell you, but I can't. So wow. I had to do that for a while. Yeah. And that was because if, you know, God forbid I say something and somebody else says something, well, then my dad's job's in jeopardy. Yeah. So, and and yeah. you, you talk about too that in in that season of keeping the secret, you're trying to cope, and so you're doing that through drinking too much. Right. Um, and you also have this, uh, like, you talk about hiding from community, and then this fear of failure that also are looming in the background. Can you, can you talk about those two things? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, I was a part of another church plant before planting this church, and that church plant, uh, I thought it was incredible, and it failed in eighteen months. So we moved to New York for this other church plant and that, that fails in 18 months and I get a job to start a church. I was an associate at the first church plant. And so I have this like specter of failure just on my shoulder. Like better not mess this one up because you've already been a part of one that didn't work. So you had that from day one. Yeah. Okay. From from day one that's there. So it's sitting there. In addition to this news from your dad. Right. And, and usually... My dad would be the one I would call, Dad, I'm struggling. I'm like, yeah. Is this thing going to fail? Is it going to be okay? That was, he was my guy. Yeah. And now I didn't have that either. So I'm, I'm just internalizing, you know, this fear of, you know, no one's going to show up to your church. You're terrible. You know, what are you even doing? This is, this is not your calling. And, you know, you're going through that whole process. Yeah. And then, like, I wish I could talk to my dad, but, but my dad's a woman now. And I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to, how to make sense of that. Right. And so, uh, so what I would do is every Sunday for church, I'd go up to this green room and I would just sit up there for an hour before church and I would cry. I would just cry. Oh I'm goodness. not going to drink, you know, because it's church, right? Yeah. So I would just cry. 
you know, for about an hour. And then, uh, you know, church started at 10, 9.50, come downstairs, make sure I look okay. Start, hey, how's everybody doing? Everybody good? You know? Oh, good to see you. I'm glad you're here. That kind of thing. And I've just spent the past hour upstairs crying about oh my, my failure. Who's my dad? What's going on? I, you know, I have this secret I can't, I can't share. Yeah. So, so it was a tough time. So what was that season like relationally with your dad? You know, I think uh, as I look back on it, I think I, I was angry enough and I, I intentionally worked to maybe hurt my dad more than was, was even close to being fair. Mm. And so I think when I look back on that time, especially that first year, first 18 months, I have a lot of regret um, because I think she expected that the relationship might stay the same. I would still call, we'd still talk, we'd do all these things. And, and not only wasn't it going to stay the same for me, but I was going to be intentional about making sure that I wasn't going to call her back or I wasn't going to, uh, you know, she'd say, Hey, I have to be in New York for a meeting. Can you, you want to hang out? And I'd be like, no, you know, I got to do this other thing. Um, when she did come to New York and I, I was going to see her, I, I refused to see her as, as Paula. I wanted to see Paul. Yeah. And, and, you know, my dad was incredibly gracious through that process. You know, I, it had to have killed her. Like it had, yeah. to, it had to have just crushed her. And I think she just said, okay. And I didn't realize it was going to be this hard for you. And I'm sorry that it is. And yeah, just really gracious about the whole thing. So she would come to visit and I would, I'd be there, but it, it you know, it was curt. It was short. It was, you know, yeah. it, it was hard. Yeah. And so you uh, told the story in the book, and then you told the story yesterday. So Jonathan and I are together at a at the With Collective National Gathering. He spoke on this yesterday. But you told this story that I think everyone cried, and the people who didn't um, don't have a soul. <laughs> but you told the story about the the baseball game, and I just want to let you just tell that because it's sure. it's so powerful sure. that whole story. Yeah. No, my dad and I, we have this bond, and it's baseball. And my dad took me to my first game when I was seven, and then we got Mets season tickets. And yeah, the Mets are giant disappointments. Which I think By my dad way, have I told you? I'm a Yankees fan. Are you really? Yeah, like generationally. Speaking. Oh, okay, like so, your dad I mean, was a Yankee I, it fan goes or back something. Like three or four generations or something. I won't so. hold it against you. Okay, yeah. I just I felt like that was between us. That's all right. That's all right. I, I struggle with the people who like moved to New York from like Missouri, and they're like, I'm a Yankee fan now. I'm like, get out of here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're legit. I'll, okay, I'll let it go. Thank you. <laughs> no, being a Mets fan, my I joke around. I'm like, Dad, like you were preparing me for life's big disappointments, like, <laughs> you know, being a fan. But anyway, it was our bond, you know. Had season tickets growing up and talked about the Mets constantly. And so uh, the Mets were hosting the All-Star game a few years back. And so I, I call my dad and I'm like, you know, this is the one bond we still have. This is where my dad can still be my dad. And I said, you know, fly out to New York. Let's go to the All-Star game together. It's where the Mets play. It's going to be amazing. So we get closer to the date of this All-Star game, and I, I call up, and um, and uh, I'm like, are you going to come? And, and she's like, no, I can't come. And I was like, well, you know, why? You know, why aren't you going to come? And she's like, I'm actually having a surgery that day. And I, I, I was crushed. You know, not only could she not come and share this bond, but it was like she was – transitioning and and so instead of being with me as as my dad she's transitioning in this through this surgery you know doing doing something that makes her you know I, you know I don't, I, I don't i don't know what would, what it would make her yeah. but something that was not what i i had hoped 
right? So I was like, man, I was like, okay, so I'm crushed. I mean, just crushed. I'm like, I'm still going to the game. So I buy a ticket, 167 bucks to stand. <laughs> and uh, I walk in to the, the stadium and I, I run into an acquaintance who's with this other guy that calls himself the mayor. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I'm going to hang with this guy, the mayor. <laughs> he seems all right. So the mayor's this crazy New Yorker. And so he, he, you know, makes his way past all the security down to the dugouts for the all-star game. We're hanging out by the dugouts. And I'm like, all right, the game's about to start, Mayor. Maybe we should, you know, find a, a place to watch the game. He's like, nah. He's like, we're in this section where the players' wives are, and players' wives hate the game. They're going to leave in, like, an inning. Just stay here and wait. So sure enough, like, we stay and we wait about a half inning, and everybody just gets up and walks away. And we have all these open seats right by the dugout. So we're sitting there, and <laughs> this dude's, like, screaming at all the players. You know, like, a player would come out, and he's like, hey. He's calling him by name, like, Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer! Scherzer turns around and looks. He's like, Harvey's better than you. He's like screaming. <laughs> so I'm hanging out with this guy. Great game. Lots of fun. So I give the guy a ride home. And you had just met him at the I game. I just met okay. him at the game. I didn't know him, but he's like, he called me Pasta. Pasta, give me a ride home. And I'm like, all right, man, I'll give you a ride home. <laughs> so we're on the BQE, which if anybody's ever been in Brooklyn, it's the worst road in New York City. Uh, just, it's, yeah, it's miserable. And I got a flat tire on the BQE. It's like midnight. So I pull off to the side, and uh, this guy, the, this guy, the mayor, was like, Pasta, I don't know how to change a tire. I've never had to drive in my life. And I'm like, don't worry, I got it. I go to pull out this jack. My jack is broken. It doesn't work. So I'm on the side of the road for two hours. Our phones don't work because we've been taking pictures of all the players and stuff. Yeah. Nobody can help. And all of a sudden, two, you know, this, this guy, the mayor, goes, Pasta, don't look now. There's two ladies of the night approaching. <laughs> So I look and I'm like, oh man, sure enough, like, you know, like two, two obvious prostitutes in the distance. They're walking towards us, you know, come up to us. Hey, what are y'all doing? And at that point, I, I just sort of lost it. I, I just lost it. I was like, I went to the All-Star game by myself and my dad's a woman and, and <laughs> I, I don't have a jack for my car. And these like, you know, it's like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in Brooklyn. I'm on the side of the road talking to prostitutes Pouring about what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they were like, so you just need a jack? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, we know somebody who has one. We'll go get it for you. So they leave. The mayor's like, pasta, they're going to rob us. They're coming back. with." And I'm like, I know. Like, and about 15 minutes later, these two prostitutes walk back with a jack. So I fix the car. I'm in the car with the, the mayor. He's like, pasta, something happened tonight. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, he's like, I'm not a really godly man, but but God was here tonight. Right. And I was like, wow. I think so. Yeah. I think God was here tonight. He goes, uh, he goes, yeah, something, something it's like redemption or something. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And that was like a, just a, a point, right? Like, yeah. Like confessing to prostitutes on the side of the road, you know, in Brooklyn at 3 AM and seeing God at work in it. Yeah. And, and that was a point where I was like, my dad, my dad is my dad is my dad. You know, yeah. like there, there's no time to be estranged from my dad. This, this is going to be hard, but, but wow. uh, we need to reconcile. So I, so I called my dad. No, next morning, and I'm not going to call at 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah. And I said, hey, uh, the game was amazing, and I had a great time. I met this guy, and I want to tell you what happened. And, uh, and up until that point, I didn't want to know 
my dad's new name. I just didn't want to know it. I, yeah. I didn't want to acknowledge her existence as a woman. And so I, I said, well, you know, what's your name? And she says, well, it's Paula. And I was like, uh, okay. And she goes, it's just, it's just one letter. <laughs> and I was like, it's not, it's not one letter. I was like, you can't say it's one letter. You have changed your complete identity and yeah. people no longer see you as a man. You are now seen as a woman. Like, this is who you are. And she was like, you're right. You're right. And I was like, but listen, like, I'm glad it's not like Crystal <laughs> or like, or like Misty, <laughs> you know? So that was, that was a really big turning point. I mean, I, I, you know, when I think about the Holy Spirit and the way the Spirit works, like the Holy the Spirit works wherever it pleases. Yes. No one knows where it comes from or where it's going. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love that story. Yeah. I love that story. And by the way, if you're listening, all of that's in the book and, uh, yeah, we're just we're just like skipping a stone across the surface of it. Um, so you you call, you hear her tell you uh, her new name, right, right. And uh, so that's the first step, the initial steps of reconciliation. Um, and, and then there was further steps. And you talk about your kids. Yeah, well, I mean, we we met her first. Uh, my wife and I met her, and yeah, she looked nothing like my dad. So that was that was intense. Um, yeah, it was intense because then I started to question. You know, I was like, I want to reconcile with my dad, but now was my dad ever my dad? Because yeah. this is a, a woman, and you know, I, you know, when I when I met her, I was like, you know, wow, like this is this is who she's supposed to be. I can I can see this, but um, but then it was like, well, was there ever a Paula, or has it always just been Paula? Yeah. And so I think I spent another six months figuring that out, where I'm like. All right, was my dad or was it was it my dad that taught me about sex? <laughs> you yeah. know? Or was it was it Paula teaching me about sex? Or was it was it, you know, when we went on family vacations, was that was that my dad or was was that just a woman dressed in man's drag, you know? Mm. And I think I that was the next big thing I had to think through. And um and I sort of came to this place where I was like, Yeah, yeah, my dad, my dad existed. And this was like the, the kicker for me when I figured it out. My dad existed like willfully, like consciously. It wasn't like my dad existed just, you know, as, as I'm a man and this is just, I, this is how I live my life. Yeah. Like it was this willful, conscious, my kids need a, need a dad and I'm going to be their dad. And, and when I realized that, that, you know, this was someone who consciously chose a gender identity for me. Yeah. I, I was, you know, I could be nothing but grateful, right? Wow. Nothing but like, wow, you know, thank you for living something you didn't want to live so that I could have a dad, you know, and that was powerful for me. Yeah. So, yeah, so she met our kids <laughs> and the kids knew her before when she was grandpa. And, um, yeah, so she walked in the door, my girls are sitting there and at this time my kids are six and four, two girls and they're both coloring. And I, I say, oh, you know, I tell them grandpa, grandpa looks different now. You know, grandpa has always identified as a woman uh, and now she's she's going to live as a woman. And my my older one, my six-year-old said, uh, I think I'm going to miss grandpa. Oh. And I said, I started crying. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like, I miss grandpa too. And I said, but, but when you get to meet the way grandpa, the way she looks now, you're going to be really excited. It's going to be good. Um, you're going to see that you're going to have really fun things to do with, with grandpa the way she is now. And you know what I'm saying? It's crying. And I think she's yeah. trying to figure out why I'm crying. And 
and you know, yeah, I think I'm going to miss grandpa. I got, I got it, you know? Yeah. But she, she comes and, and the kids see her and they're a little bit standoffish at first cause she looks completely different, you know? Yeah. And my four year old who is, has the highest EQ of anybody I know ever in the history of the world, <laughs> even as a, yeah, she looked at my, she, she felt the tension and she looked at my dad and she goes, grandpa, do you have a penis? <laughs> <laughs> and so you know it breaks the tension right everybody just starts laughing and um and like literally that second both my girls get up from the table they run over they give my dad a hug oh. and then they're like grandpa grandpa we have we have new press on nails come look at them and they you know bring her into their room to look at press on nails and, and how did paula respond at that moment she just was crying you know oh. it's like it's like it's like relief right and my wife yeah. and I are crying. It's just yeah. relief. It's like tears of like, oh, thank God. You know, thank God. Yeah. So how did that shape, how did that shape your healing? Or, I mean, I, I mean, cause healing, yeah. I, I feel like always comes in pieces. It's yeah. not like this one big moment, but this was another moment for you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. One of like the really big moments along the way. Yeah. It was, it was the fact my kids brought her right in. They, they named her Grandpaula. <laughs> A grandpa. So that's what they call her now. They call her grandpa. So, um, so then, you know, whenever my dad visited before his grandpa, you know, they would go to Dunkin' Donuts and my dad buys them way too much, you know, way too many donuts and, yeah. and it's the thing they do. Right. And so of course, you know, an hour after they're there with grandpa, they're like, grandpa, take us to Dunkin' Donuts. You know, that's, that's what my dad does for them. Right. Yeah. So I decide I'm going to go and they're walking down the block and, and I'm, I'm like, um, I'm like protective, right? Like I'm looking around and looking at people. I'm like, do people know that my dad has transitioned? Like, you know, I, th I think there's a bit of an insecurity yeah. and, you know, still, still a little standoffish. And I look at my girls and my girls are holding my dad's hands and they're like dancing and stuff. You know, when kids dance, like when they're all excited and like, oh, yeah. and I'm watching my dad's arms like swing around and the kids are dancing. And I just took that in and I was like, that's, that's how God sees my dad. Like God is in my children right now. Yeah. Like God is like celebrating and God is, God is dancing and God is like, you, you are made in my image. And I just stopped back and I was like, as I, you know, I hadn't cried enough that day already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm like shedding more tears. I'm like, oh my God. Wow. This is how God sees my dad, the way my children are delighting in her right now. Yeah. And I was like, okay, all right. This is the God that I want to worship. This is the God I want our church to worship, you know? Yeah. And so it was a big turning point for us. Wow. Yeah. And so the back to the church. Yeah. So we left that we did. a few months in. You're crying before Sunday morning gatherings, keeping a secret, right. drinking too much. So now you're you're it's known that your dad has transitioned. Yeah. So in that whole process, uh she she came out and and like she thought, within twenty four hours she was let go. Um and uh, lost her job. And so that was brutal. I think for me. And to their credit, I, I think a lot of the people within this evangelical subculture, they cared deeply about me. They still do. Yeah. And and so, um, but I think there was a sense in, in which people were like, you know, this is odd. Like, this is odd, Jonathan. Do I, and, and they never said this out and out, but it was just the way I felt. Like, do I have permission to be like angry and upset about this kind of thing? Yeah. And, and looking to me for that. And here I am, I'm like, I'm angry and upset. So yeah, you have, you have permission. And 
So it was this weird dynamic, I think. But I knew at some point our church needed to be an open and affirming church, not just quietly, but publicly and on our website and digitally. And, you know, and we know that for a lot of evangelical methodology type churches to do that, you know, there's a cost that comes with that. Yeah. So, so we decided, yeah, we're going to do this. So we did it. We, we became an affirming inclusive church. We made an announcement. Um, and at that point, the, the organization we worked with said, you know, we love you and, you know, we'll always love you. We're, we're just not going to be able to be officially connected any longer. So we lost that organization. Um, I preemptively called a couple churches that were really generous and giving us money still. And I just said, hey, this is, this is something we're going to do. And I just want to let you know so you don't have to, you know, I, I understand if you yeah. don't want to give anymore. Um, yeah. And they said the same thing. We love you. We love your church. Um, we're not going to give. But... Um, but we're, we're praying for good things to happen. Huh. So was there any, um, was there any guilt by association? You know what I mean by that? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean by that. No, no. But, but one thing I did feel was that I was this, um, and this, this is, this is maybe going a little, this is maybe a, a bit of a hyperbole, Yeah. but I felt almost like a spoil of war. Like what, what side will Jonathan end up on? Will Jonathan end up with his dad over here or will he end up with us in this evangelical corner over here? Hmm. Um, so it wasn't, I wasn't guilt by, you know, guilt by association. It was like, Jonathan still has a chance to end up on the right side. Right. Paula blew that chance. Um, so John, where's Jonathan going to end up, you know? And I, I sat in that for a little bit. I sat in that tension for a little while. Yeah. And And, and part of that was related to Paula has spoken, uh, about the idea that, when she uh, came out, people immediately judged her character in a way that was different than the character she had spent decades building as Paul. Right. And so there, when you talk about that, like, you're the spoil of war, which side? I mean, we're talking now about really big categories for people about morality and gender and sexuality. Um, and so that's a big thing. How did you feel? Like, I mean, did you feel like a tug of, like you were in the middle of a tug of war? Yeah, I did. I, did. I definitely did. I think I think on one side, if I end up going back to that that traditional evangelical model or stance, I think then I become a champion for well, look, his his dad did this, but he still stands firmly on you know the gospel, whatever that means, right? Yeah, still stands firmly with the Bible, you know, the the right interpretation of the Bible. And I think there, while it was never overtly said, I think there was a sense in which that could be the case for me. Yeah, and uh, and so. And at that point, I was angry with my dad too, and I was I was questioning her character too. You know why? Why would you change? You know why would why change? Why now? Yeah. And so for me, it was okay to flirt with that side mm-hmm. because, yeah, I mean, I'm questioning her just as much as everybody else is. Uh, in hindsight, I really regret that. Mm. Really, really regret even like flirting in that way. Yeah, uh, I think I hurt her a lot in that process. Mm. So. Yeah. And so now things are perfect. The relationship <laughs> is flawless. No, this is, um, we talk, so we talk a lot on the podcast about taking next steps. And one of the things I've learned to appreciate, but I still, in some ways, I think resent is that life doesn't have those perfect endings. No. Um, and I say, I appreciate it, um, in the sense that there's always there's always something else we can do. There's always uh, a place that we can go. There's always um, things that may one day change. Um, 
And I think you bring that out of this idea of like, no, this is not like, this is a story in process. And I think that's important for our listeners to hear about because there's so many people I know who like they're waiting for their daughter to come back. They're waiting for the marriage to be reconciled. They're wait like there's these stories that are ongoing. And I think that's, that's where you, you and your dad are. So can you share a little bit about that, about where things are now and yeah. how they're not perfectly resolved? Yeah. Um, they're, and they're not perfectly resolved. I, I think it's this constant daily willful work towards reconciliation for the two of us yeah. on both sides. Yeah. I, I think that's true. I think, and, and make no mistake, I absolutely affirm who my father is. Mm-hmm. I believe she is her true self. I believe this is how God has made her to be. I believe that um, she's living out her truth. I believe that she's free from it. So that's all good, you know. But it gets back to that word, um, good, which is tov in, in Hebrew. Yes. So so I talk about this a lot. Uh, it's not my idea. I mean, there's been a billion people who have written about this or talked about it on other podcasts. Um, but... Uh, the idea of Tov, uh, you know, when we think of good, we think of like a happy feeling. I'm feeling positive or I'm feeling like this thing is beautiful. And in the Hebrew, Tov is, uh, it, it literally translates into for its intended purpose. Mm-hmm. And so if something's for its intended purpose, sure, it's beautiful and it's um, it it's flourishing. But, you know, if something's for its intended purpose, there's a cycle to it. So there's death, right? there's darkness, um, there's brokenness, right? So I talk about creation they talk about stars right stars are beautiful they light up the sky but they're also dying balls of gas yeah or um you know trees they're beautiful and they bloom and flowers bloom and then leaves fall and die and you know the you know branches are bare but it's good it's for its intended purpose yeah my favorite one is you know although i didn't give birth it's childbirth it's something beautiful comes out of something that's painful yeah something that that really changes a body right and it's good. It's it's for its intended purpose. Yeah. And so when I think about my dad, that's how I think about it. In in the well, this was all for its intended purpose, which mm-hmm. means sometimes it's going to be beautiful. Like sometimes it's going to be incredible, and I'm going to see my kids like running down the street with my dad, arms swinging, and I get this beautiful picture of God. And then sometimes it's not. Yep. Sometimes it's hard. Some you know, my friends the other day they're like, we're going on a fishing trip to Alaska with our dad, and I was like, that's dope. And in my head, I'm like, I'm never going to do that. Yeah. You know, that's not something that we're going to do. And that's yeah. sad. But because she's living out her truth, even though it's sad or, or hard, it's still for its intended purpose. Yeah. It's still okay. Yeah. So it's it's practicing that idea that that to be good or for us to be good, my dad and I to be good, doesn't mean it's always going to be beautiful and flourishing and sunny. There's, right. There's times of pain and that's that's going to be okay. Yeah, and that's yeah. every relationship. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. The, volumes, the volumes have been turned up on on this, on this your particular relationship with your dad, but that's every relationship is that good and bad seasons and hard seasons and uh, beauty and tragedy. and Absolutely. Yeah. It may, and it makes it meaningful. You know, yeah. if, if we didn't have it all, I don't think we have a meaningful relationship. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's a good practice, and it's something that I think we keep uh, in the forefront of our minds in the way that we, we continue to have our relationship. Yeah. yeah. So that's so important. That yeah. difference between the Hebrew ideal of good and or perfection versus the Greek idea of good or perfect. Right. And we're so freaking Greek. I'm telling well, that's <laughs> what happens when your Bible gets written with the Greek uh with the Greek lens, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. The Western lens, yeah. Yeah. Um and again, so if you're listening, you might uh even just take that piece of like what relationships are good. 
not perfect because there isn't there's no such thing but good right um yeah and by the way uh paula was on episode nine of the changing faith podcast so again for our listeners if you've not heard um i would say paula's side of the story and her story of transitioning and coming out um that was a beautiful time that we shared together um jonathan how can our listeners learn more about your work and where can they find you online sure i have a book that just came out she's my dad so go to amazon or your local bookstore to to get that um uh, the good thing about that is that Paula does write a few uh, responses to some of my chapters, which I'm incredibly thankful for, and I'm glad yeah. her voice is there. That matters a lot to me. Uh, she's my dad.com. You can check out where I'm speaking and all the rest. Uh, and I have a church, Forefront Brooklyn. Uh, so ForefrontNYC.com. Check it out. Come and visit us. Yeah. yeah, we'd like that. And if someone wants you to come speak, is that it? She's my dad. She's my dad.com. Okay. Yeah. She's Perfect. my dad. Got, yeah. You can go there and, and I will, I will get back to you for sure. Yeah. yeah. I look forward to, uh, I'm glad we get to tell this story. So look yeah. forward to the chance to do it. That's yeah. so great. Bro. Thanks for being on the, on the podcast. Thanks man. It's really appreciate it. Yeah. And yeah. I think we're going to probably hang out till late tonight. My guess is that, uh, <laughs> my guess is that we're going to shut it down tonight. Absolutely. <laughs> and thank you uh, for joining us again on another episode of the Changing Faith Podcast. We've been with Jonathan Williams and been hearing about his story, which uh, he writes about in his new book, She's My Dad. I can't encourage you highly, en- highly enough to go and pick that up just to learn about uh, the journey that he's undertaken, that his dad Paula has undertaken. Um, and just, yeah, it would definitely be moving for you and for others. Um, so like you said, you can find that anywhere books are sold. So again, thank you for joining with us. And until next time, as always, much love and peace be with you. <laughs>